Welcome to the PeaceWorks Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Moles. I'm a pastor and biblical counselor who helps churches and families confront the evil of domestic violence and promote healthy, God-honoring relationships. Welcome back to the PeaceWorks Podcast, everyone. On today's episode, we're going to talk a little bit about counseling mistakes. But before we jump into today's content, let me remind you uh, about some of the things that are going on over at chrismoles.org, including our membership site, PeaceWorks University. PeaceWorks University is an online membership site in which members have access to a vault of my past teaching materials as well as new monthly material and online Facebook uh, community where they can interact with each other monthly live Q&A's with me as well as monthly master classes with experts in the field and uh, toolbox items it's a really a great resource uh, something that I highly recommend and would love for you to be a part of if you enjoy the PeaceWorks podcast then PeaceWorks University is your next logical step. All right, let's jump into today's content today. I'd really love to um, interact with some concepts of counseling mistakes. And before I get too deep in the weeds on this, I think it's important to recognize too that I don't always recommend counseling as the only option for domestic abuse. I, I will often recommend it as part of the response or you know, a piece of the response. But I think one of the misconceptions within within this work, and in particular among Christian churches, is that the the primary or singular response to cases of abuse uh, in any form, <clears throat> excuse me, is counseling. And while counseling is a good resource to have, it's it's something that you do want to make available when possible to victims and to perpetrators and to children when possible. It is not necessarily a one-stop shop and I would say that that's one of the uh, one of the if not the primary misconceptions about domestic violence intervention is this idea of the singular focus or um, almost magic bullet mentality of counseling. Counseling is not a fix-all. It is again one piece of a larger coordinated response. So let me just start there. I think that's one of the misconceptions in counseling, one of the uh, common missteps that I think we can do a better job in the church, and that is to cease counseling in isolation. I think one of the big areas that we can improve on when working with victims and perpetrators and addressing aspects of domestic abuse is to not counsel in isolation. For many of us, what what the DV or domestic abuse response looks like is there's a disclosure made in the church and a church out of its uh, attempt to help, which is a very good move. If they're making moves to help, their primary uh, reaction is to refer. And so whether they have an in-house counseling ministry or if they refer out uh, to another counseling ministry, they make that referral and then kind of, you know, wash their hands of the matter until there's something more that they feel they can do. And then unfortunately what happens is um, counseling takes any number 
of um, responses that could be helpful or could be damaging or could only meet part of the needs of the individuals. So I think it's important as you consider mitigating counseling missteps is to consider building teams. You've heard me talk about this quite a bit, but understand that domestic abuse responses function better when they're coordinated within a community. And so utilizing resources and more people, I think, will be helpful. Now, granted, you don't have to expand this to 100 different people, but just having uh, three or four people in the loop that are functioning in different ways. And some of the, sometimes I, I like to refer to it um, like this, you know, having a pastor on board is helpful because you do need somebody who has connectivity to the processes and policies and procedures of the church. It's nice to have someone that can provide kind of a discipleship overview or spiritual overview. Uh, when it comes to um, the case, it, there's a there's a nice um, reality to having an apostolic oversight, you know, somebody who's overseeing the process. But it's also good to have advocates on board when possible, an individual who's trained in advocacy that understands the dynamics and impact of abuse that can, as I've said many times, you know, disseminate the thousands of words that are being presented by the victim who can kind of sort through some of the trauma responses and help the team understand what's really happening, understand some of the key points that need to be addressed, kind of set the stage for here's the four or five primary things that we need to do. It's nice to have also someone who is mentoring, confronting, or working directly with the perpetrator who understands that their primary role is uh, safety and sanity of the victim, the glory of God. So having an interventionist or a, a very um, mature uh, believer who's in a mentoring relationship could also be helpful. And then counselors are a big part of this uh, for a number of reasons. Processing what's been happening, uh, trauma response work, not to mention uh, just things like wisdom building and helping individuals um, deal with uh, past trauma, which is something that we often see with perpetrators. And so having a multiplicity of folks is, is helpful. So I guess to recap, the first misstep, the thing that I would really recommend is moving away from isolation and into team-based responses. And I know, you know, that's an old drum and that's something that I hit quite a bit, but I'm not sure we're ever going to really see uh, the shift that we need in this work if we, rem if we continue to work in silos. And so having a team-based approach is always going to come up when I'm talking about missteps. Let me give you a second one and I think the second misstep is our um, emphasis on mutuality or our focus on marriage restoration and this one gets me in some trouble sometimes and I'm I'll just try my best to um, to manage that because I'm not opposed to marriage restoration. I actually believe it's possible and it's something that can happen uh, in this process my my dilemma or the thing that I struggle with the most is when marriage restoration becomes the goal we almost always see um, the abuse continue or escalate 
or be refocused or repackaged. Now, sometimes it, there are some recorded incidents where marriage-focused solution has yielded some positive fruit, but for the most part, what we see, again, is either a, a repackaging of the abuse, so the abuser is now processing and applying manipulation, coercion, threat, fear in different ways, more acceptable ways. Uh, the victim is often blamed or mutualized, the problem is mutualized to where the victim is taking responsibility for their own uh, harm and hurt, uh, or um, the, the abuse is overlooked in many ways as well towards that ultimate goal of restoration and so some of the ways that we mutualize in abuse cases is we give time frames like uh, we're gonna you know six months and then we're gonna get people back together right and that can be really really dangerous because setting time frames can actually give the abuser some some hoops or some target dates to work through rather than really solid accountability that that they need I think the other thing that we can do that mutualize is we uh, expect them to be together um, and and dialoguing together. Uh, the third thing we do to mutualize again is we take problems and we uh, make them points of negotiation rather than points of confrontation and comfort. And so just just to peel back the layer again, just to say, I think you know one of the missteps in counseling uh, cases of abuse is that we tend to mutualize the problem. And that's, I mean, I understand that. That's why I'm saying that counseling alone is probably not the best response, although we want counseling pieces. So please don't hear me, me say or go away from this podcast saying, well, Pastor Chris says counseling is useless. I would never say that. Counseling is tremendously helpful. Um, it is a major piece. It is not the only piece. And um, one of the dangers in counseling is um, of cases of domestic abuse is again the idea of mutualizing and then the second danger as we said first was functioning in isolation without more eyes on the prize without a team having uh, your back as it were I think the other thing that in the idea of uh, mutuality that we tend to to struggle with is um, the lack of knowledge in the area of the skill, the ability, and the um, just the um, determination of the abuser and understanding how significant the entitlement is and how central it is to the way in which they're functioning on a day-to-day -day basis, especially with their target, with their victim. And again, that's not a problem of mutuality. It's a problem of one person using power to control another. And so in that regard, we have to properly define the problem. And that comes to the third misstep, I think. And I'm not even sure how to go about addressing this one, guys. So um, I do think isolation is a problem. We, we need more people speaking into the problem, speaking into our response to the problem. Um, I think, too, we, we really need to shy away from the mutualizing uh, form of counseling, the marriage-focused counseling in cases of abuse, and really turn our attention to targeted responses, parallel tracks of care. And then I, I think the other thing, the other big misstep is what do we believe about abuse? And I think that will absolutely affect 
our counseling and what advice that we're given. And for me, I think one of the big areas that that I would like to see us improve on is understanding that abuse originates in the heart of an abuser. I know it's a simple thing and I know it's something that we've talked about, but for a lot of folks, there's still a, um, I don't know if it's a desire on the part of those of us in counseling or if it's just a, um, you know, we don't like the idea of confronting one individual, but uh, for some of us, we really gravitate towards the idea that, well, abuse is really a problem with the abuser's past or the abuser's substance use or the abuser's trauma or the abuser's mental health capacity or and and all of those things can be contributors to their choices right none of us would be i think lacking the compassion to say oh well you know none of those are contributors i think all of those can be contributors but the choice is still up to the individual and how they act out on that and i think that's something that is really really difficult in the counseling room sometimes is to hear a very difficult story or a very difficult circumstance and to see them separate enough to care for the individual who is suffering but then to still hold them accountable for the sin and I think that's something that we need more skill and time and resources to to address you know I, I often quote Luke chapter 6 and Jesus's words about the tree and the fruit and you know where is this fruit of abuse coming from the manipulation the ridicule the the harm the pressure the fear-mongering the threats the use of, of force where's that coming from well it's not coming from the sunshine right that that helped the fruit be produced no it's it's not I mean the sunshine will will help the process right if you're if you planted an apple tree you certainly want the sunshine you certainly want the rain you want the soil to be rich right but the reality is if the seed of that tree is an apple tree then it'll produce apples decreasing or increasing the sunlight the heat decreasing or increasing the water intake you know enriching the soil with fertilizer or not will not change the nature of the fruit it will only change and affect the production so yeah there are things in life that are contributive but we we really need to understand I think as counselors that when we are presented with the case of abuse we do an abuser a disservice by um, lessening the responsibility and accountability because of past trauma or current circumstances or discomfort uh, it doesn't mean we don't deal with that. You certainly want to address that, right? We want to address sufferers, but at the same time, uh, we want to address the sin. And um, abuse is definitely one of those things that I think some of us old school biblical counselors can get on board with and say, yeah, I mean, there's a really clear violation of the law of God here that we need to address. So understanding where abuse comes from and then I guess the last thing guys you know as I'm thinking about counseling missteps uh, in cases of abuse the first being we tend to counsel in isolation and I think that needs to change we need to broaden our approach with a team-based approach uh, the second being we tend to mutualize care rather than target our care and so 
peeling back this idea of marriage-focused solutions when we're dealing with cases of abuse. And then the third, as I've been talking about, is really honing in and understanding abuse first as it originates in the heart of an abuser. Uh, but then secondly, I guess, and I'm not sure how exactly to word this, but to kind of peel back a little bit from the looking for um, the the looking for the clear violations or looking for the letter of the law. And here's what I mean by that. I've worked with a lot of uh, counselors who are really, really, I don't know if scared is the right word, but they're hesitant to use the word abuse. And you, they built a pattern. They really see the pattern. They've built the whole um, box. They filled the box full of what they're seeing. And they're able to articulate things like manipulation, coercion, threat, fear, uh, but what they're lacking in their mind is a real clear line like well when did it become abuse and my response is is that really the next necessary piece right you you can counsel what you have in front of you and what you have in front of you is a history now of coercion threat fear right and you know when you have that present that foundational level present then absolutely we can build on that and say well there's there is aspects of power control and abuse and we can counsel from that and we can certainly direct attention to that I think sometimes what we want is like um, Thor to hand us the the hammer right it's like hey here's the hammer go hit that and go go hit that nail and the problem with that is um, that's not how abuse counseling works. There really isn't a now you know a clear delineated line when it became abuse because most of the time it's much more of a marble cake, much more of a black and white film, much more of a grainy image that you're piecing together over time. And so let me encourage you, uh, if you are dealing with a case right now as a counselor and you see the pattern you're like okay well here's a history of coercion here's a history of threats here's a history of manipulation here's the history of of the victim being afraid rather than looking for the legality or the um the moment that it tipped over the edge right so you can say that in you know you know january uh 14th 1999 it became abusive to look at the culture of oppression and the way in which it's affecting. So I guess that may be a better way to put it. I've kind of stumbled around to um, to this point. You, we need to understand that abuse is from the heart of an abusive person, but we also need to gather the data and understand the impact of that person's actions, the ways in which it affects uh, the victim. I do an exercise occasionally uh, in groups called the Grand Piano Exercise where I ask the audience to imagine they are uh, sitting beneath a grand piano that is suspended by ropes and pulleys and the exercise is really designed to, to help the audience think about their options and how they could escape the weight of the grand piano and how much time they have and if, you know, who's in control of the grand piano. And ultimately, the idea is to take about five minutes just to help the audience see, in small part, the experience of a victim of coercive control who lives their life under the weight and the pressure 
of abuse. And so being able to have those two components, understanding that abuse resonates in the heart of an abuser. Yes, there's contributors, just like the sun contributes and the rain in the soil contributes to a tree's growth, but the responsibility is still in the heart of the abusive person. And then uh, also understanding the impact, the ways in which it's affected the victim. As we look at them as somebody who's living in fear and threat, whose life has been changed, whose thoughts have been changed, uh, whose behavior and agency, some might say, has been reduced, their freedom has been reduced, that gives us a much clearer picture for um, counseling people, right, than saying, well, when, did, when was the tipping point? And can we call this abuse. I hope that's making sense because I think that's something that I would love to see us as counselors do a better job of which is actually counseling people uh, rather than counseling issues. Uh, I had a uh, teacher in Bible college who was very instrumental in my life, uh, one of my professors, and she taught me early on that Chris we teach people the Bible. We don't just teach the Bible and the same is true here. We counsel people not issues. And so in order to do that well, we need to understand uh, the people, their experiences, uh, and for some cases their sin and where that originates. Uh, in order to do that, I think it's helpful to be targeted in our approach rather than being mutual in our approach. And then it always helps to have people on our side who are adding extra eyeballs to the problem so that we can share resources and have a team-based approach hope that's helpful guys uh, for those of you who have made it to the end of this podcast at the time of this recording uh, I have been and my family has been in the attempting to recover from COVID-19 so if you hear this part of the podcast please pray for us we're still in quarantine I'm still recovering personally and uh, really would cover your prayers if the PeaceWorks podcast is something that you benefit from and you'd like to take the next step please consider heading over to chrismoles.org and checking out uh, PeaceWorks University. We would love to have you there as well. Okay, guys, thanks again for listening, and until next time, God bless.